Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report magazine. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi, filling in for Sasha Koka. Almost a decade ago, my cousin got married, and it was an arranged marriage. We're Indian, and astrology plays a really big part in our culture. As part of the whole matchmaking process, my aunt consulted an astrologer to see if the star my cousin was born under was aligned with the star of her future husband. If the stars weren't aligned, as they say, they might not have gotten married. That astrologer has a lot of influence on this big life decision. A lot of cultures have similar traditions, all aimed at helping us feel a little bit of control in a world that can feel pretty random. That's probably why people visit fortune tellers. Today, we're bringing you an excerpt from the first episode of Foretold, a podcast from the Los Angeles Times that digs into the world of fortune telling and the people behind it. L.A. Times reporter Faith Pinu takes it from here. Where I live in Southern California, psychic shops are practically as plentiful as coffee shops. They're a part of the landscape. I know people who have regular appointments with their psychic. It's the kind of thing you can drop in casual conversation, and no one bats an eye. And I can understand why. People want security. They want to know what the future will hold. And whether through tarot cards or a crystal ball, the fortune teller will hint at how your story will play out. Let me say up front that I don't know how this tale will play out or how this will end. Because in this story, the fortune teller came to me. At the very beginning of this podcast, I never thought in a million years it would turn into what it is now. My name is Faith Pinu, and I'm a reporter at the Los Angeles Times. But back in October 2019, I was working at a small community newspaper in Orange County called The Daily Pilot. And that's where I first got a call from Paulina Stevens. Paulina told me that from the time she was a child, she was told she would be a fortune teller and that she came from a whole family of fortune tellers. I'm not gonna lie, I had never been inside a fortune telling shop. So I did some Googling. And if you look for news about fortune tellers, a whole bunch of them go something like this. 
A local woman is out $20,000 after falling for an elaborate psychic reading scam. The fortune tellers would tell them that they had curses, and that was why these bad things were happening to them. Self-proclaimed psychic Gina Marks busted at Miami International Airport. She was arrested just minutes before she was sent to board to Europe. I thought maybe this was the kind of story Paulina was trying to tip me off to. But something in the franticness of her voice made me feel like there was something different going on here. And then Paulina mentioned something that made my ears perk up. It was a warning about a psychic shop in Orange County. A psychic shop she said she'd escaped. I didn't know what that meant. So I suggested we meet up in person at a local cafe. I'm a little nervous. I'm sorry for like, that's okay. I don't know. I'm like kind of nervous, but I'm okay. okay. Take your time, whatever. whatever makes you Listen, people call reporters all the time with salacious tips. But when Paulina started talking, I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose. My parents are also related, just so you know. Paulina said she had an arranged marriage with a distant cousin. Twelve, it's like you're supposed to know who you're getting married to, you know? That's like you're going through puberty, like I was getting too old. That her parents shielded her from outsiders. So any kind of outsiders was a big, like, no, no. And then she was pulled out of school entirely at 12 years old. I was actually lucky, like, I got to go to school up to sixth grade. That was like... The main thrust of Paulina's education, from what I was gathering, was how to become a fortune teller. So basically, the same time kids would read or write, they start learning like how to read tarot cards. And At the time, I was used to writing stories on city council meetings and town art shows. So Paulina's story, it was totally out of my wheelhouse. It seemed too big. Because ultimately, Paulina kept blaming her culture, her culture, her culture. And Paulina's culture is Romani. I don't think I had ever even heard the word Romani before. And that's because Romani people are often known by another name. You know, a gypsy. You're not going to hear me throwing around the G word on this podcast. Because for many in the community, it's a slur. Not for outsiders like me to use. But at the time, I had no idea. Because even a pop star like Shakira casually throws around the G word. It's set against this catchy, poppy backdrop, like something you'd instinctively hum along to. If you weren't paying attention, you'd never notice the lyrics are actually overtly offensive. Cause I'm a gypsy. Are you coming with me? I might steal your clothes and wear them if they fit me. Once I started noticing it, I couldn't stop seeing the G word everywhere. Clothing brands and restaurant menus, surfboards and tea bags. It's become a shorthand for something nomadic, wild, deceitful, romantic, something exotic, a style anyone could put on and wear like a costume. And there's one stereotype that always comes up, that Romani people are fortune tellers. But the thing was, Paulina and her family were actually fortune tellers. And while Paulina told me about her family and their history, she also seemed to be painting herself as those very stereotypes. She seemed to want to shock me, to get me to pay attention. Like, the rule is no stealing, only scamming. <laughs> because people give you stuff, so it's not considered stealing. Paulina seemed to be telling me, fortune-telling is a scam. And so I, and I'm a scam artist, you know, born and bred. That's what I'm telling you. I just looked at her like, what? You know, you're sitting here with a reporter. Are you turning yourself in? I didn't know what to think. 
And honestly, it didn't seem like Paulina did either. Gypsies have a bad rep, um, and it, they should, I think. I don't know. And then, Paulina said, she had decided to leave. Even though the specifics of Paulina's story were foreign to me, I have to admit, I found myself relating to her. Because I grew up in a restrictive evangelical community on the East Coast. So things like having to wear certain clothes or filling certain gender norms, distrusting outsiders, those were things I could wrap my head around. And why I could understand when Paulina told me she had chosen to leave. Because when I left, I had no education, I had two kids, no driver's license, okay, no car. You know what I'm saying? I had nothing, 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 nothing. The franticness in Paulina's voice suddenly made sense. The unfiltered panic and blurting out extreme claims. It was the sound of someone stepping out of one world and into another, questioning everything she's ever learned. And this was certainly part of why Paulina said she had come to me. But it wasn't just to tell her life story. The real reason Paulina reached out to me was she needed help. Paulina has two little girls, and when she left her community, she was at risk of losing them. She was terrified her family would leave with the kids, which had happened once before. Like, I'm not losing my kids again, so everyone could disown Paulina said she didn't know where her girls were for a whole month. It was uh, the most terrifying thing I've ever been through in my life. The most scariest um, and now she was terrified that her kids would get whisked away somewhere. To fight to keep her daughters, Paulina did the number one thing people in her culture were taught not to do. She turned to the outside world. She took her case to the American legal system, and her custody hearing was coming soon. What are the dates in January? Sixth and 7th. Yeah. Room H13 if you want to be there. I do want to be there. Yeah. Uh, Can you testify for me? No, I'm just, I can't. <laughs> I was intrigued. So three months later, I followed her to court. It was January 2020 at the Harbor Justice Center in Newport Beach. Paulina had been waiting for this hearing for over six months. It was meant to decide once and for all if Paulina would be legally entitled to her children. I wasn't allowed to bring a recorder into the courtroom, but as it turns out, I didn't really need to. Most of the action happened just outside the courtroom anyway. While the lawyers conferenced inside, everyone else waited in the hallway. Well, hopefully this makes them quick and maybe we can do something. Paulina was dressed up in heels and a blazer, and I remember her being really jittery. I waited with her on one side of a giant staircase that split the hallway in half. On the other side of the staircase were a few members of the community Paulina had left behind. The staircase was large enough to mostly block them, but from what I could see, it was a small group of men. Fathers, brothers, uncles, no women. There was just this nervous energy hanging in the air around them. We'll just wait on the order. It turns out this trial had been a bit of a dud. Or at least, it was very anticlimactic. It was mostly for the lawyers to convene about when to reschedule and have the next hearing. Right, you guys are free to go. But I felt like a door had been cracked open, and now I wanted to see the whole world behind it. A rare peek that Paulina had given me into a culture that's been intentionally hidden from outsiders. People are telling me, like, we've survived so long by staying out of the media. Like, we've survived in America this way by keeping things hidden. 
And honestly, I feel like we can survive, you know, not being hidden. And so I knew I had to do some digging. I needed to understand Romani culture, get some perspective here. But getting firsthand accounts from Romani people isn't that easy. Romani culture is a closed culture. You won't find a lot of Romani tell-alls. Talking to the media is seen as pretty taboo. You have to be exclusionist in order to preserve identity. You have to close ranks to prevent infiltration from outside, which doesn't encourage people getting too close, knowing too much. And this also does not make you friends. Okay, yeah, but I would like to consider myself friends with Professor Ian Hancock. Professor Hancock is generally seen in the U.S. as the preeminent source on Romani history. He recently retired after more than 30 years as a professor of linguistics at UT Austin. And at 80 years old, he's still traveling the world, educating audiences on Romani heritage and culture. I mean, the gypsy identity is rife with stereotypes. We all hate stereotypes. Stereotypes have an origin somewhere. Like the fact that Paulina had grown up fortune-telling for as long as she could remember. When I was little, I didn't have much thought about it because it was just all around. Paulina told me she learned the art of fortune-telling almost by osmosis. It's like... I wake up in the morning and we're cooking coffee and playing some music and my aunt is like, okay, you know, let's practice your reading. They would practice together for hours, tracing each other's palms and memorizing the meaning of different tarot cards. As a kid, I didn't really think that it was anything out of the ordinary. I didn't really think about it because it's like telling people, you know, what do you think about cereal? Like, well, we always had cereal, you know, <laughs> it was just natural. When Paulina was a girl, committing these symbols to memory felt sort of like a family game or a hobby. When I was just starting out, it was for fun. Like, <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, if you have ever had like a magic eight ball. But it was also something more. Because in so many ways, fortune telling can be about health and healing. We don't call it fortune telling. We call it reading and advising. According to our resident linguist, Professor Hancock, there are actually two words for fortune-telling in the Romani language. There is another verb, which is durikar, which actually means divination, fortune-telling, predicting the future. But that's not the word that's used by professional readers and advisors, which is drabaribos. And the drabarni, which Paulina is a drabarni, strictly means healer. So the actual translation of the Romani word is healing, not fortune-telling. And Paulina was very much raised as a healer, someone who could help people turn their lives around, who could provide comfort and counseling. And her primary teacher was her mother. I do remember clients would come up to me and be like, hey, you know, your mom is really special. Paulina said clients were dazzled by her mom's presence. But most importantly, her uncanny ability to make them feel better. A lot of the times, clients would be friends. Like, we had 
good relationships like with their clients. And there was no better place to practice healing and wellness than California in the early 2000s. This whole new age thing was happening. There were other spiritual stores in town. And so my mom and aunts or whatever, they'd work with them. Paulina said her mom went beyond tarot cards and palm readings. She also did meditations and energy work like Reiki. I was also allowed to do like Reiki, you know, classes and palmistry classes. She'd sit beside her mom and absorb how her mother read the cards, her use of eye contact, her bold declarative statements. Paulina was hooked. I originally took it very seriously, like as a kid, you know, as serious as a kid could take anything, I guess. Paulina said she'd spend hours going through books on spells and astrology, like a giant dictionary of dream interpretation or psychology for dummies. And my mom had so many books. Like, she really did. I believe she took it seriously, too. Paulina's mother learned fortune-telling from her mother. And her mother learned it from her mother. And her mother and her mother all the way back. Back to the very origins of the fortune-telling tradition. Back to the origins of the Romani diaspora. Well, first of all, it comes from India. It was brought out of India, where it is a highly regarded, respected means of income. So it didn't have a stigma from the very beginning. Fortune-telling is also a mobile business. Reading cards just requires a deck of cards, right? Crystal balls, stick it in your backpack. So it was a transportable means of income. This is important because from the very beginning of their recorded history, Romani people were forced to move from place to place. It wasn't a genetic wonderlust that we're supposed to have. That's Romani people were chased from the moment they first migrated from India, around 1000 AD. The exact reason for their leaving is unknown, but some historians think it was to escape militaries invading India around that time. So Romani people left India and migrated across the Middle East and to Eastern Europe. When they reached Europe, Professor Hancock says, they stood out right away. They were people of color. The church was clear in their belief that whiteness was purity and darkness was sin. So the church had a problem with the first people of color to show up in any numbers. Many Europeans thought these newcomers had arrived from Egypt and were Egyptians, hence the G word, which came to be pejorative. Romneys were not Christians. A lot said they were uh, to get by. They had no country. They dressed funny. In the region that is now Romania, hundreds of thousands of Romney people were enslaved for over 500 years. As late as the 1800s, the penal code in the region declared that Romney people are, quote, born slaves. Many were sold off and traded around Europe and other parts of the world. And Romney enslavement wasn't abolished until the mid-1800s, around the same time of the Emancipation Proclamation in the U.S. But even in their freedom... Romani people were met with prejudice everywhere they went. People were being chased from pillar to post. If they weren't being killed, they were being driven out across the closest foreign border. The most horrific example of Romani persecution in recent history is, of course, the Holocaust. In Professor Hancock's book, We Are the Romani People, 
He says that in 1940, the Nazis tested out the poisonous gas they would use in their death camps on 250 Romani children. People simply do not know the details about the fate of Romanis in the Holocaust. It's impossible to know how many Romani people were killed in the Holocaust because of incomplete census data and undercounting. But I've seen a couple estimates that say approximately 1.5 million Roma were killed in the Holocaust. I had no idea. Nobody knows about the slavery, five and a half centuries of slavery that ended at the same time as slavery in this country. Nobody, that's not taught in school. And this history directly connects to Paulina. She's from a subgroup of Romani people who were enslaved in Romania. And Paulina's ancestors were slaves. Six generations ago, maybe five generations ago, they were slaves. Once they were freed, they moved to Serbia, specifically a place called Machwa. That's where the name of Paulina's subgroup comes from, the Machwaya. They regard themselves as the classier gypsies. Classier because Romani subgroups formed around different regions or different traditional traits. But Machwaya people, along with a few other Romani subgroups, became, by tradition, fortune tellers. And not only is fortune-telling a mobile business, but it was also something that could be done without formal education in reading and writing. Romani people, and especially Machwaya girls like Paulina, became experts in reading something else. Body language and social cues. So they knew how to give people what they wanted. You know, it's not just this little entertaining, fake, we're going to put a spell on you, hocus-pocus type of thing. Like, this is really what we do for a living. And Paulina says she actually did start doing this for a living at around 12 years old. My mom was just like, I think you're ready. Like, I think I was practicing doing readings with her. And she's like, I think you're ready. You can, you know, go ahead and do it. So Paulina had this in mind one day when she was riding her bike around town and a beautiful young woman caught her eye. So I gave her a handbill, that's what we call them, but they're flyers, like tiny flyers. And I was like, why don't you come back? Paulina told the woman to meet her back at the family psychic shop. And then she came back and my mom was like, well, you can do the reading since you brought her to the store. Were you nervous then? Yeah, I was extremely nervous. Paulina sat down with the woman and pulled out a stack of tarot cards. And... I was so nervous that I laid the cards out face down. <laughs> and my mom looked at me and she's like, and I'm like, what? And she's like, you got to flip the cards over. And the customer was right there. And then like I read all the cards and the person ended up liking it. Even with the fumble, it was clear Paulina possessed the same gift her mom had. The same natural, intuitive clairvoyance that put people at ease. In fact, the reading ended up going so well that Paulina said the woman became a repeat customer of hers. And Paulina was 12 at this point, and this woman was her first steady customer. But also, she was Paulina's first peek into the inner workings of an outsider, someone from beyond her world. We were told that outsiders will never understand us. And to a certain extent, Faith, like, I do believe that. And maybe this is just ingrained in me, but that's what was told to us. Outsiders have bad intentions. They have diseases. They will never accept you. They will never be on your side. And very early on, that 
mindset, you know, whittled away. And as Paulina started to question the ways she was raised, why she was taken out of school or why she had to dress a certain way, she started to fundamentally question the trade she had spent her whole life practicing. There were times where I would really question, of course, like as I got older, like, is this real? Is it not? And those questions just got louder and louder. Are we being deceptive? You know, are we not? Until eventually, she sat down at a cafe and told a reporter that she's a scam artist, born and bred. I think around the time that I met you, I just kind of woke up and I was like, whoa, I was being manipulated my whole entire life. But Paulina told me she still finds herself coming back to fortune-telling, like a subliminal, supernatural pull to the cards, even if she's not sure what she believes, even if it changes day to day, year to year. Occasionally, once every, like, couple of years, I'll just pull out one card just to, like, see what it says. Three out of four times that I've done this, it's been, like, the death card. Don't worry. No one's getting murdered in this story. The death card represents, like, an ending or the death of you and ultimately this blooming or manifestation of some new version of yourself, like being reborn. And so it's this like grim reaper and then there's this like beautiful rose and it represents like a new beginning. Paulina was going through a new beginning when we first met in 2019, leaving the Romani world for the non-Romani world. I don't want to reinforce negative stereotypes about gypsies. But there are bad things that do happen in this culture, and people need to know about it. By leaving her community, going to the courts, and talking to the press, Paulina was opening up her life to a world of scrutiny and doubt. I think she used the Romani culture as a, as a sword, so to speak. But woe is me. I'm the victim. I need to get away. The bad guys are after me. I'm, I didn't buy that at all. Lots of uh, things are said in the heat of a fight to protect and to not lose your children. Paulina was a diamond. Now she's just a stone. Do you ever have doubts about sharing your story? I do. Like, I totally do. And I really don't know. I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know if once this is released, it'll be a mistake and I'm scared. But Paulina and I kept talking for years. And although we started talking about the most shocking and bombastic parts of her story, as Paulina and I got to know each other, we peeled back layer after layer together, both of us trying to get to the actual truth beneath the surface, to the place beyond the resentment and the stereotypes. Because it's true of any community, of any identity, that there are stereotypes and there are truths. And while sometimes they can overlap in superficial ways, the whole and deep story is so much richer and more complicated than we could have ever predicted. That was LA Times reporter Faith Pinu, creator and host of the Foretold podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. It's a really nuanced, interesting look at the Romani culture in Southern California. I highly recommend you check it out. 
Foretold is made by Asal Asanapur, Alex Higgins, Lauren Rabb, Avery Truffleman, Sue Horton, Jasmine Aguilera, Heba Elorbani, Mike Heflin, and Mario Diaz. The original score was composed by Vadim Kopelkov and Alex PGSV. Dr. Ethel Brooks is the show's Romani cultural consultant. And that's it for the California Report magazine. Our interim senior editor is Katrina Schwartz. Susie Racho is our director-producer. Our engineer this week is Brendan Willard. Olivia Zhao is our intern. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.